What do you think about the lyrics, Cara? I love them. And matched with the tune, you really get that feeling of triumph as you reach the end of the verses. And you're like, you know, that one you mentioned about my sin is nailed to the cross and I bear it no Mm -hmm. more. And you're just like, yes. And as you're singing it, you're just like, probably should keep my hands in my pockets, (laughs) but it's going up. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funga. And today we'll be looking at a song we often sing in times of deep sorrow and heartache. It is well with my soul. You'll probably be shocked to know some of the history around this song and its composers. And maybe this song is a bit more joyful than you think. We'll take a look at the lyrics and the scripture that inspires them. All that and more if you stay tuned. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. We know the internet is a weird place nowadays, so we want to make sure that our subscribers are able to keep in touch should an algorithm change or if for any reason speaking about church music gets us kicked off the internet. We don't want big tech to keep us from bringing you our hymn goodness every week. So please, if you haven't already, head over to hymnpartial.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. We won't spam you. We're not going to sell your info to advertisers. In our weekly newsletter, we include fun bonus content like links and info about some of the items we mention on the show, content you can't get anywhere else. And we only send you one email a week. So please make sure you go to impartial.com to sign up. That's right. And you shouldn't sleep on the newsletter. Subscribers can submit mailback questions to us and there's a good chance we'll answer them on the show. But this week, I have a question for you, Cara. What have you been listening to this week? Anything to share? Yes. Um, So I was actually just listening to it this morning as I was getting ready um, to record. I've been listening to a band called Beautiful Eulogy. um, And the song is actually also called Beautiful (laughs) Eulogy. (laughs) Um, It's a Christian, I think, hip hop Mm. band. Um, They're not together anymore, but they have done a couple of really good albums. And I definitely recommend them. I feel like that really takes me back hearing that name. Um, because maybe about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, um, is when I really started to listen to kind of like Christian hip hop or hip hop by Christian artists, as a lot of them prefer. Um, and they definitely were some of the first artists that I listened to. Beautiful Eulogy, um, you know, Shylin, Lecrae, like all of the kind of big names. Um, also like... Um, um, Jay Givens and stuff like that. Like I just, I like, I liked a lot of like the same kind of crew of, not crew, they're not the same crew, but the same genre of music for a while. And that was kind of all I listened to. So when I hear you say beautiful eulogy, it just kind of like time travels me back into time when I started to listen to that type of music. So yeah, I mean, like I've been listening to them for years. (laughs) It just happened to be that I was like, oh yeah, that song exists. And I've been listening to it a lot this week. Good. Well, thanks for sharing. If you haven't heard of them, maybe you should check them out. Um, But this week, we're going to talk about a much older song. We're going to speak about It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, Probably the hardest and the 
best song to sing during an especially trying time in your life. In fact, as I was looking into this song, I couldn't help remembering that the very first time I sung this song at my church back home, the pianist pulled out a bit of paper and introduced this song by telling the story and the history of the songwriter, a story that I will get into shortly. But I can't help but wonder if this is a common experience for this song for churchgoers. Kara, have you heard the history of this song before in that kind of context? Um, I didn't really grow up in a, a church that explained hymns, <laughs> like where they came from and stuff. Um, so no, but I'm pretty sure that I've heard the history somewhere, like maybe at a conference mm. or, you know, I've been listening to a tune on YouTube and someone's just explained it beforehand. I'm not entirely sure where I heard it. Yeah. Um, I definitely have, like someone's explained it at some point. I do feel, I do, I guess I'm just wondering because I know I've heard this history more than once before singing it. And yeah. I think it adds like a color to the song when you hear the history first and then you sing it right after. But listeners, let us know when, have you heard this history before? And was it in a church context? I do feel like that's maybe a common experience, but maybe it's just mine. I have no idea. So, well, I think we we do we might be familiar with some of the circumstances surrounding this hymn and its writer. I guarantee, or at least I'm hopeful, that there are some facts surrounding this song that will be shocking, maybe even curious for those of us who are familiar with the background. So I won't tease it any further. This song was written by a Presbyterian businessman from New York called Horatio Spafford. Spafford was, uh, he had found success in Chicago as a lawyer and an investor. He married his wife, Anna, who was Norwegian, but they married in Chicago in 1861. And they later went on to have four daughters. As the story goes, in the spring of 1871, Horatio had invested heavily in real estate in North Chicago, which only a few months later was destroyed in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Um, this devastated him and his family because hundreds of people died, and they, of course, lost a fortune on the properties that were now burned to the ground that they had invested in. Now, Horatio was good friends with D.L. Moody, a prominent evangelist at the time in the U.S. and the U.K. And a year or so after the fire, Moody was due to commence one of his one of his evangelistic crusades in England and Scotland. So Spafford thought it would be a good break for him and his family to travel to England to support the work of. Uh, that D.L. Moody was undertaking, and also to have a bit of a holiday as well. However, last-minute business complications kept Horatio in Chicago for a few days, but he sent his wife and children ahead of him with plans to meet them a few days later after they arrived. So here's the bit of the story I feel like most people know. Kara, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling emotional already. You're feeling emotional. So um, he sent his family ahead on a ship and the ship didn't make it. So the wife and kids set out on a French Atlantic mail steamer called Ville du Havre 
but at the entrance to the English Channel, an iron ship called the Loch Urn, I'm saying this properly, um, was at full sail for Australia and collided with the Ville du Havre. Now, under the law of the sea, steam was expected to give way to sail. So the ship that the Spaffords was on was supposed to give way to the iron ship. But instead, the steamer continued on course at high speed and they noticed their error too late and swung across the Loch Urn's bows. And the sharp bow of the sailing ship cut into the steamer's plating and their ship sank within 15 minutes. Wow. That's grim. It is grim. It's devastating, too, because 226 of the 313 passengers died, including all four of Horatio's daughters, which is pretty devastating stuff. Um, Yeah. So, however, his wife, Anna, did survive. And as the story goes... When she made it to London, she sent a telegraph to Horatio in Chicago that said, saved alone, what shall I do? So on his way to meet his wife, supposedly near the spot where his daughters had drowned, Spafford penned the lyrics to this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to know it is well, it is well with my soul. So I want to pause here. (laughs) Kara, is this the story you are familiar with when it comes to this song? I'm familiar with parts of the story, um, but a lot of the details I wasn't aware of. So I didn't know about the connection with D.L. Moody. And I didn't realize that it was a collision that caused the sinking um, I don't know where I'd heard it, but one version I'd heard that it was that it was a storm, um, which is evidently wrong. <laughs> um, so those bits I um, were a revelation to me. Yeah, it's really interesting when I looked into the history, which I'll get into some of the intriguing facts about the different versions of the story I've heard. Um, a lot of the dates were kind of mixed up, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of like, like myth, a little folklore in there as well, mingled in. Um, so it's obviously been told and retold so many times that it's kind of like played a little game of telephone and some of the facts have changed a little bit along the way. But from what I could gather, yes, it was a collision, um, with the Loch Urn. Uh, which was actually a, an iron ship built here in Glasgow, which I'm not, I'm sure no one's surprised about because that's what Glasgow's was known for is shipbuilding. And with a name like Loch Urn, like, you know, well, what, what place do you think it was built? <laughs> it wasn't built in, in <laughs> England. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, um, th- there's actually some more pretty interesting history around this song. And I do want to talk about it before we dig further into the lyrics, because like I said, I believe most retellings kind of stop here and it stops maybe appropriately at a heartbroken father resting in the comfort of God in the midst of tragedy, which is thankfully something that is true for the Christian. We, we can sing this song and empathize and maybe some of us know exactly the type of heartache that he's going through and we could still have the same comfort that he um, was pointing us to in this song 
But this is not the end of tragedy for Spafford or even for this song. So Horatio and his wife would go on to have three more children, a boy and two girls. Unfortunately, in 1880, so this would have been like seven years after the boat sank, his son died of scarlet fever and he was only three years old. So about a year after that, Horatio walked away from Orthodox Christianity, eventually leaving the Presbyterian church where he served and he took his family along with a dozen other adults to Jerusalem to start a sort of philanthropic sect called the American Colony. So, oh, it's a bit sticky. They basically, they were there in Jerusalem. They lived in a commune together and reached out to the locals by like providing aid. From what I could tell, they were not concerned with evangelizing or had much to do with Christianity at all. However, Horatio believed that the society's work would hasten the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so Carmen's giving me a like, oh, brother face. <laughs> no, I was just like, ah, oh, yeah. that's, yeah. You'll find out why I'm making that face in a little bit when we talk about the lyrics. I've just made that connection. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that. Uh, that happened. Um, and then Horatio actually died of malaria in 1888. So not that long after moving away, but the society went on and grew to be trusted amongst the Jewish and Arab locals, apparently because the colony was, quote, not trying to convert them. Isn't that the case, though? Yes. Like, it's the um, people who move in and do the good stuff good deeds like there's nothing wrong with what they're doing but they don't tell people the gospel and people are like these these are great these guys are great and you're like yeah but they're not really doing much for your eternal good are they that's it that's it it makes them feel good but you know it's it's really sticky it was it was disappointing to me actually and I, and I wanted to mention this because a lot of the bios I read on Horatio basically made it seem like he lived out the last few of his years quietly in Jerusalem, but they leave out the fact that he left orthodoxy and started to believe some funny things about Christ's return. And to me, it feels like another heartbreak and a long list of heartbreaks for this hymn writer. What do you think, Kara? I would actually be interested to know what his wife made of it all. Um, because she endured that tragedy too. And I mean, she was there when, when the girls died. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she loses her, her son as well. And then she gets taken halfway across the world to Jerusalem and her husband's leaving the church and stuff. And I'd be interested to know how that impacted her as well. Like, it's a good question. I know, from what I know, she stayed in Jerusalem after he died and continued on the American colony's work. Um, and stayed there for quite a while, actually. So I think she was in on it, like, you know, she was along for the ride. Because, yeah, when he died, she could have been like, all right, kids, let's go back to America. But she stayed and she continued the work. Um, so I think she kind of was convinced of his beliefs as well. But you're right, that would be interesting. I'm sure there's something out there from her perspective. She lived a lot longer than he did, Um 
So I'm sure that there is probably some sort of historical record of what she thought. Good questions. If any of our listeners know, yeah. I'd really like to know as well. Let us know what, what Anna Spafford <laughs> was thinking about all this. But yeah, it, it is tragic how people respond to grief. Yes, um, it is. But wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, no. I'm laughing. It's not funny. It is tragic, but it just seems like, wow, how much can surround this one song. So the tune of this hymn was written by an American gospel singer and a music teacher called Philip Bliss. In 1869, Bliss formed an association with D.L. Moody, who urged him to give up his job and become a missionary singer full time. And in 1874, he did this. So he rolled, he rolled real tight with D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey. We also know the Spaffords were close with D.L. Moody because that's who they were going to visit uh, before tragedy struck. So Bliss got a hold of Spafford's lyrics and wrote a tune for it. Um, and he named the tune Ville du Havre after the name of the ship that sunk in the English Channel. Now, Bliss went on to be pretty successful, publishing a few hymnals, one even with Ira Sankey called Gospel Hymns and Sacred Songs. But shortly after, he and his wife were traveling on a Pacific Express train to Ohio when the train collapsed on a bridge, fell into the ravine below, and caught fire. And Bliss and his wife and 90 other passengers died. Um, and the most tragic part of this story is that they were survived by their two sons who were ages four and one at the time. Uh, so, Cara, this is so intense. But did you know about this, this misery around this song? Did you know? So I had, had heard the stories crossed over. I had heard that it was Spafford and his wife who died in a train crash. Oh. Um, so I think it's just a weird kind of misheard blurring. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I was thinking this, like the whole thing around this hymn, is just a flaming train wreck. And then you're like, and then the train crashed and it was on fire. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's like a literal flaming train wreck. Literal. It's, it's grim. Yes. It's so bad. It is. It is. Um, and I was listening to one guy talk about it and they were like, naming the number of deaths that surround this song, like in the immediate hymn writer. And, and, you know, I feel like it maybe gives the wrong impression to talk about this song. I mean, I know I'm literally doing it right now, but it's the context that I was saying that you hear about the history first and then you have to go sing it. And it's like impossible to sing it without crying because it's just, you're thinking about the situation in which this song was written. But I think we should cleanse our palate a little bit and actually hear the lyrics of this song. So I've been doing a lot of talking. Cara, why don't you read us the lyrics to this song? Sure. So the lyrics are, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, It is well. It is well with my soul. And then the refrain goes, It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. 
Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of that glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, that will whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight and clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall sound and the Lord shall descend, a song in the night, O my soul. Yep. So, if you're... Um paying attention there's a lot more verses in there than we usually sing um, I think most often the um, the verse left out at least one of them is verse five which has to do with Christ's return given Spafford's odd turn there at the end I wonder if this was careful editing to remove any associations with his eschatology um, my husband mentioned that to be fair a lot of older hymns were just really long <laughs> and sometimes you have to cut <laughs> things down so that you're not singing for 10 minutes what are your thoughts on this missing verse because I actually I looked I looked into Christian hymns which is a hymnal that uh, a lot of churches in our um, um, confession sing from here in Scotland and it does have all the verses except for verse five what are your thoughts on the missing verse Cara I've sung it before in church and if it's not in Christian hymns I'm not sure where I've sung it um hmm I think if I've known any verse to be left out it's the one about Jordan above me shall roll. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Hmm. Um, I've, I've sung different mix and matches depending on the mm -hmm. church, but I've definitely sung the um, For Thy Coming We Wait one. Really? See, the last half of that verse sounds familiar, but not the beginning. Maybe it's like one of those things where people will just, you I, know, Lego their own version together. Yeah, now you said that, I'm kind of like, wait a minute, I think I might have sung it as Lord haste the day when the face shall be sight, clouds be rolled back as a scroll, trump of the angel voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest in my soul. So yeah. like just mashing the two yeah. last verses together. I think so. I think that's what happens. Mine is total speculation. I have no idea if they, that's edited out of Christian hymns for that reason or not. I'm just totally speculating. I mean, it is a very long song. And when you've got like the chorus in between as well, it's kind of like, this is going on. You could be singing for a long time. <laughs> is your soul still well? Especially <laughs> if, if you're singing it really slowly yes. as well, then it could be. It's a marathon. Yeah. You need endurance to get through the song at, with that many verses. Good lungs, a lot yeah. of breath. Yeah. <laughs> so th there's a lot to be encouraged about in this song. I just want to touch on a few of the points. 
The context in which it was written is moving. It is moving to think that someone who just lost his daughters wrote this song. But think about how happy of a song this is. We have such wonderful promises that the hymn writer is clinging to, like Christ has shed his blood for our souls, that our sins are fully atoned for on the cross, quote, not in part, but the whole. In, in the fourth verse, we are taken back to the Apostle Paul's words that to live is Christ and to die is gain. There the hymn responds, for me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. No pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. And then in the last verse, Spafford takes us to Revelation 6, when the sea be rolled back as a scroll, um, the sky be rolled back as a scroll, excuse me. And like we talked about a few weeks ago in our Behold Our God episode, the Christian is so encouraged by the great big God who has secured our soul for eternity. So there's a lot in this hymn, and I know it's framed in this light of doom and gloom, but think about how triumphant and undefeated the hymn writer is because Jesus has secured our righteousness before a holy God. What do you think about the lyrics, Cara? I love them, and matched with the tune, you really get that feeling of triumph as you reach the end of the verses and you're like, you know, that one you mentioned about my sin is nailed to the cross and I bear it no mm -hmm. more. And you're just like, yes. And as you're singing mm -hmm. it, you're just like, probably should keep my hands in my pockets, <laughs> but it's going up. <laughs> yeah. There's a few lines in that song where I am genuinely moved and it has nothing to do with the tragedy of Spafford or Bliss's life. It has to do with the, the the magnificent truths that we're singing about. And yeah, that, that line is definitely one of them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great song and, um, and it, and I say it's the best and the worst song to sing in times of trials because, you know, when you're feeling low, the best thing you could do is remind yourself of who God is and, uh, what he's done for you. You know, it's like we were saying in our last episode, it's that orientation, like who is God? Be still and hear and know that he is God, you know? And, um, and I think this is one of those great kind of orienting songs in times of joy and in times of sorrow, like who is God? And he's this God who has done all these wonderful things for us. So a Bible verse, I think that really pulls the themes of this song together is actually Romans 5, 1 to 5. So, Kara, can you read that for us? I'd love to. So, Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Amen. <laughs> Any final thoughts on that, Kara? 
Um, I think just to say, like, it's good to know the history of the hymns, but try not to be too caught up in the tragedy around this hymn as you sing it. Remember that it is about hope and it is expressing this faith in Christ and what he's done for us. Um, It is a hopeful song in the end. Absolutely. And as you just read, hope does not put us to shame. Uh, Yes. Well, um, thank you so much, Monet. That was a lot I learned that I didn't actually know and some sort of Christian mythology that was debunked (laughs) in my mind. (laughs) So, um, yeah, don't forget, you can sign up to our newsletter at himparcel.com. I think I actually might have found an image of um, the piece of paper on which Spafford originally scribbled down these lyrics and if I can find it again I will include it in this week's email newsletters only for subscribers so get on over to impartial.com and um, sign up to our newsletter Uh, this has been a great episode really encouraging thank you so much Monet and I guess that wraps it up for another week of impartial we'll see you next Monday and until then may the Lord bless and keep you bye bye